Welcome to From the View Box with Hal and Chris. This is the podcast of the UMass Medical School Department of Radiology. My name is Hal Lowe from the Division of Emergency Radiology. And I am Christopher Cernelia from Musculoskeletal Imaging. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Hao Lo. Uh, we'll be flipping the tables back, and I'll be interviewing Hao. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, trauma with uh, Hao, and Hao's going to go through that with us. Welcome, to Hao. Great to be with you. Good morning. All right. Uh, so let's uh, get right into it. Let's start talking about uh, trauma and trauma and imaging. I think before we even get into you know, the imaging, um, you know, I know some of our residents come from internships or backgrounds. They may not have a lot of exposure or experience with uh, trauma. Can you can you give us an idea of um, you know the different considerations when you're thinking about a trauma center? I hear these you know term a level one trauma center, a level two trauma center. Maybe give a little bit of an overview and background on that. Yeah. Yes. Of course, uh, Chris. Um, yeah. And and I think there uh, th- those terms get thrown around quite a bit. Um, level one, level two trauma centers. Um, so uh, basically, there is a distinction between um, the designation of the levels of trauma center and then the verification of the trauma center. Uh, and we, we, we use those terms level one. Actually, there are, believe it or not, five levels of trauma centers. Uh, there's level one through level five, um, with level one being the most comprehensive type of trauma center. So in terms of designating the trauma center, that is a, that is actually a uh, local and state level um, sort of um, nomenclature and designation. So for instance, we're in Massachusetts, the state of Massachusetts Department of Public Health would designate the UMass Medical Center as the level one trauma center. Uh, and we are actually the only, for instance, we're the only ones uh, only a level one trauma center in central Massachusetts. Now, what the state uses in ter- to verify that our medical center has satisfied uh, different uh, uh, criteria for that designation, they use uh, the American College of Surgeons as the verifying uh, organization. And, and so the American College of Surgeons uh, is the organization society that uh, verifies or certifies every uh, level one, level two uh, trauma center uh, all through level five. So how do they make that um, uh, verification? Well, it's actually, there's a long, long list of criteria that you have to meet. Uh, and the higher the level, level one being the highest, the higher the level, uh, the more criteria you have to meet. But for us, I think, so the most important thing to remember is probably that um, level one trauma center, highest level, most comprehensive, that requires a 24-hour t- in-house coverage by multiple uh, medical and surgical services. That includes general surgery, uh, orthopedic surgery, neurosurgery, anesthesiology, uh, emergency medicine, radiology, importantly to us, and then multiple other uh, sundry services, plastic surgery, uh, pediatrics, critical care. It also includes uh, many um, sort of um, markers of excellence, you could call it, including a comprehensive quality assessment program, and then things like uh, sort of organized teaching and research effort. Uh, and th- some of those markers are not necessary for lower levels of trauma, uh, trauma centers level two. In fact, I just recently learned that level five trauma center, for instance, 
you actually don't have to operate 24 hours a day. So you can, you can, so the lowest level of trauma, level five trauma center, you don't have to operate 24 hours a day. You just need a mechanism to be able to refer patients to come, to come, who come see you uh, to a, to a more major uh, centralized trauma center. So that's the difference. That's interesting. I didn't even, didn't know they went down to uh, up to whatever you want to say to uh, level five. Um, all right. Well, so that kind of touches on uh, different trauma centers, um, but that's that's quite different than when we talk about um, this is a level one trauma or a level three trauma uh, when a, a particular patient would come in and they're categorized um, at these levels. I know um, when I used to spend some time at ED, uh, and I don't I don't do that uh, much anymore, but I would hear you know the technologist or I'd have a page saying, "Oh, I have a we have a level two trauma coming in." Um, that's different, right? So, what can you maybe go into you know the differences of the various um, levels of trauma activation? Yes, of course. Yeah. So it gets a, the terminology, unfortunately, gets a little confusing because we use the term level level one, level two, level three, uh, also to refer to the sort of the acuity of the uh, tra- traumatized patient uh, when we see them in the clinical setting in the ER. So, um, and th- this, uh, at least at UMass, we only have three levels, level one, level two, level three. Um, some trauma centers may, be, may only use level one and level two. Okay, and the, the level of activation is essentially an alert or a, a signifier of the, again, the acuity of the patient, specific patient that we're talking about. So this, the way this works is um, at the field, uh, the emergency medical service, the EMS or the helicopter, or whoever, the first responder, when they first see the patient, they do an assessment in the field uh, by the highway, in the house, wherever, you know, you know by the lake. And they will contact the nearest level one trauma center, let's say UMass for central Massachusetts. And when they call that in, they will give on in routes, they will call in that trauma and give a designation of which level, uh, which level they think that patient is, um, that typically will be a level one or level two. So what, so level one, um, a level one trauma activation indicates that the patient has an immediate life or limb threatening injury. Okay, so an immediate life or limb threatening injury. Typically speaking, those patients have will have vital signs that are unstable. Uh, that's one major determinant. Uh, many times, those patients will be intubated, uh, so they will have uh, uh, respiratory or airway injuries that result in intubation. And then also, neurologically speaking, they will have a Glasgow Coma Scale of less than ten typically speaking. So they will have some sort of neurologic deficit as well. Sometimes they'll be unconscious, which would be the lowest, uh, you know, or not, not mentating at all. So that's a level one trauma. Uh, level, level two activation, which are the vast majority of uh, activations at, at trauma centers, including at UMass, those, um, um, those will tend to be patients who don't have an immediate life or limb-threatening injury. Um, they will. They certainly can have um, uh, so observable objective injuries, broken bones, uh, cutaneous injuries, all kinds of injuries that you can see with with your eyes. Uh, but they're not at a uh, critical status in terms of life or limb limb threatening uh, um, status. So th- these are are typical uh, blunt or penetrating uh, trauma patients. So. For instance, if you're in a major uh, motor vehicle accident, you typically will be a level two uh, patient. Uh, or if you've had a uh, shotgun wound somewhere, 
you will many times be a level two. These patients uh, pretty much by definition will have stable vital signs. Um, and typically these patients will not be intubated. They can be, but typically they are not intubated. They, they, have a, they can protect their own airway. And then they will have Glasgow, Glasgow coma scales of uh, greater than 10. So they will be at a more normal uh, neurologic status. Now, level two traumas, because um, of their clinical condition is, is more stabilized, they are uh, almost always fit uh, we'll talk about this in a minute, All, almost always fit for secondary imaging, meaning a CT scan essentially in the modern age. Okay, So these level two traumas almost always get scanned using CT, which is why they're, of course, more important for radiology because we, we play a much larger role in these types of patients. Okay, And then the, I just want to mention that there is a level three trauma. Some, some trauma centers use that designation. We, we do at UMass. A level three activation is essentially a stable patient um, and they, who is usually um, sitting in the emergency room already. So it's already been known uh, to the hospital, has already been admitted to emergency medicine, emergency department. And for whatever reason, um, the, uh, the ER would like the trauma team to consult and see the patient while they're in the ER. So again, stable, maybe has been worked up uh, to a certain amount uh, but uh, usually these patients have not gotten the full imaging uh, workup, uh, but but the ER wants the trauma serviced uh, to see this patient. That's a level three. Yeah, absolutely. That's 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 great. I think um, you know it brings me back to my uh, pre medical school days when I was a, a paramedic, and we'd have to call these into the to the hospital. And um, I think one thing also um, to mention, maybe you can touch on, is is kind of that these are fluid. I mean, I think that's maybe implied, but um, you know, I, I could call something in, and based off of the assessment, you know, as a uh, you know, a, uh, like I said, a first responder. And, you know, the patient may have, you know, one status where, you know, their vital signs are stable. They have some, you know, mechanism of injury. There's some, you know, signs of what may be perceived as relatively minor trauma, but you're in that kind of level two level. Um, but, you know, when they get to the hospital, they're, they're assessed. And during that, you know, maybe primary or tertiary ass assessment, um, you know, they, they now uh, advance to a level one based off of their clinical findings or, you know, the patient begins to decompensate. And so, you know, these, these levels, um, you know, can be, can be fluid and, and, and change in time. Um, did you want to touch on anything else on, on, on the level of, uh, of activation? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point, Chris. And, and I would say, um, in, you know, in our experience at UMass, actually, uh, the fluidity is important, and oftentimes, actually, um, from what I've seen personally, is that some patients will go from being a level three trauma patient to a level two. So they'll be upgrading that way, and from three to two, because once you find some significant injuries that you didn't know about on a level three uh, consult, uh, that they turn they 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 upgrade that patient to a level two. And the other thing I would say is that oftentimes. Uh, we mentioned that level one trauma is an unstable patient with outward injuries, with massive hemorrhage or, or, or other limb or life-threatening injury. Some of those patients will go directly to the operating room because the trauma service knows about them because if it's been called in from the EMS from the outside, outside the hospital, as soon as they hit the hospital, sometimes they will go to the OR to correct uh, whatever they need to in terms of outward injury. So we will not see them in radiology until maybe later in the hospital stay. Right. Absolutely. Great. So, um, so can you kind of went nicely through each of those, um, activations and talking about, you know, 
uh, cardiovascular, respiratory, and neurologic kind of uh, assessments and vital signs, obviously, um, in determining these levels of activation and obviously the, um, you know, the workup. Can you kind of give me, um, or give our listeners some, you know, examples of what you may see at UMass in, in each of these categories so we can kind of visualize what you're talking about, maybe, uh, you know, a reasonable um, example or uh, scenario or situation where you would have a level one, a level two, or, le- or a level three. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so briefly speaking, again, going by the levels, level one, level two, level, th- level three, I'll just give you a couple of examples. So level one trauma, again, the most severe um, vital signs, unstable, and there is outward manifestations of an immediate life or limb-threatening injury. So this is this is uh, um, in the UMass setting. We we see more blunt trauma than penetrating trauma. So in the blunt trauma sphere, this would be like a rollover MBA at high speeds on the highway on a major interstate. Uh, car rolls over. It, the car is completely demolished. Airbags deployed. The patient sometimes is ejected out of the car. That's the that's a common scenario, and what you have is sometimes you will have limb injuries like amputations of a limb, which are, um, or you will have direct injury to the thorax or the abdomen. You have major hemorrhage, or, or you will have neurologic um, injury or spinal injury that you know uh, clearly that you can see that there's spinal injury. Um, in those types of cases, again, many of the cases when they come in, the way to think about level one is that. Um, as soon as you see the patient, the patient, you cannot continue the patient's care until you have uh, surgically fixed the injury. And that, that's one way to think about it. So whether you're talking about penetrating trauma when someone is, is shot uh, or has a projectile through the body somewhere, let's say in the chest uh, or in the belly, and so you know that there's injury there or you have an amputation, the, you can't continue that patient's care really until you fix that outward injury. So those patients, again, go to the OR and need, we need to fix that injury surgically. So that's level one. Level two would be an example would be your routine uh, motor vehicle accident. Okay. So lower speed, 30 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour, not, not interstate speed. Uh, and you get to a fender, you get into a fender bender with the uh, airbag deployed, or you run off the road somehow, the car runs off the road and it hits a tree. Uh, airbags deployed, but the patient is conscious. The patient can talk to you, and th- there's no outward um, signs of limb or life-threatening injury. Okay, so those patients, um, we will go down the trauma pathway, and we'll talk about what the imaging looks like for them. But the the trauma surgeon is not going to the OR with that patient immediately. Okay, so we need to make do a f- more full, comprehensive assessment of internal injuries. And if we find internal injuries, that patient may go to the OR. Uh, but not immediately. That's a that's a level two trauma. Level three trauma again is is, is an even more stable patient who sometimes will walk into the ER. So so you can think of a level three uh, trauma patient as somebody who presents by themselves to the ER, not through an ambulance. Okay, but we find out later that maybe it's an elderly patient who fell yesterday and they're reporting this fall or they're reporting some sort of odd sort of mechanical uh, traumatic injury that you discover while they're in the ER. Uh, and then now, now that puts them through the imaging pathway. So that's when we get to see them as radiologists. Like a patient who maybe come in and, and through their history as the, the ED works it up, maybe like is, is talking about abuse, right? Like uh, some sort of abuse case where, you know, you don't really know, you know, what that mechanism was and, and, and the severity and, and chronicity. So, yeah, that's interesting. Um, now you're talking about these uh, uh, 
trauma activations, you know, level one, level two. So let's just kind of pull on that thread a little bit. So say we have a patient who came in, um, you know, had a minor motor vehicle collision, maybe 30, 40 miles an hour, um, going to work and, you know, EMS sees them, evaluates them in the field, um, you know, bundles them up, you know, brings them in. And uh, now the patient's coming into your trauma bay. Now, can you kind of walk us through kind of the initial diagnostic evaluation of, of a, a typical trauma patient from, you know, clinical evaluation to some of the uh, imaging uh, studies that we would expect to see? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the, the way this generally works is that um, let's talk about level two trauma. Again, the most common, um, the trauma team or representative from the trauma team, as well as the emergency medicine doc will meet the patient at the trauma at the doors of the hospital of the ER, uh, as they, they, um, exit the, um, uh, the ambulance, they will roll them into the ambulance bay, uh, to the trauma bay, which is right next to the door. And they will initiate what we call a primary survey of the patient. And that is, uh, just a very, that's a very quick assessment uh, of the status of the patient, the clinical status, and people using um, the, the terminology A, B, C, D, E. So that's like air, airway, breathing, circulation, uh, disability, neurologic status, essentially. So quickly do run that assessment to make, to kind of give a marker on what's, what all of those uh, physiologic and anatomic and physiologic indicators uh, are. Um, once the patient, once the, the patient is deemed to be relatively stable, uh, in that respect, then they will start what's called a secondary survey, which is a more in-depth history and physical H history and physical, uh, in which if the patient is able or the or somebody with the patient is able to provide more detailed history, they, we get that history, uh, the clinicians get that history, and then um, they do a more detailed physical exam. So like head-to-toe physical exam, see if, if there's any outward indication of fracture, uh, hemorrhage, all, all those things. During the secondary survey, typically, the patient is in the trauma bay on a stretcher, and that's when we initiate the, the imaging sort of uh, part of uh, the evaluation. So what that typically means in modern practice now is um, – uh, two x-rays, an x-ray of the chest routinely, and an x-ray of the pelvis, okay, chest and, and pelvis x-ray, which that has been occurring for, you know, I, I don't know, over 50 years now, ever since we've had access to x-rays. We do portable x-rays, chest and pelvis, to 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 evaluate whether there is any obvious gross uh, internal injury, pneumothorax, large contusions, displaced fractures in the pelvis or in the chest, those types of things. At the same time, since the uh, you know since the 90s, I would say 1990s, um, level one trauma centers have been employing what we call the FAST exam, which is, it stands for focused um, assessment using sonography in trauma. So this is a portable ultrasound to look for again for gross internal traumatic injuries, and you can identify things like hemothorax, pneumothorax, pericardial uh, um, hemopericardium. Um, and then, of, importantly, uh, hemoperitoneum, hemoperitoneum in the belly. In the past, uh, trauma surgeons used to use diagnostic peritoneal lavage, right, or basically stick a needle into the abdomen to see if there's any blood in there. When Once we got portable ultrasound, we no longer need to do that. We could do the FAST exam and see if there's blood. So, th so that's the initial uh, diagnostic imaging evaluation in the trauma bay. That's great. Um, so... So that's the first kind of first pass assessment, both clinically and, and through, you know, uh, 
just, you know, easily accessible, like you said, portable ultrasound and, and portable uh, radiography. But um, what are some of the, I guess, the, the more modern current uh, imaging paradigms for these, um, these injuries, uh, you know, either penetrating or blunt? Um, what do we do, you know, after that, you know, survey and what type of imaging is available? Um, and, and, and when do we use them? I know, you know, I, I like to, to describe the you know, the single view radiograph, you know, one view is no view, but I, I try to analogize that with, uh, you know, the clinical assessment of a primary survey versus a secondary survey. And that we use these like, you know, single views as kind of just a really cursory look, but, you know, beyond that, how do we, you know, now that we're going into say, again, we'll, we'll take that level two uh, patient um, through its course or through their course, um, you know, what type of imaging would occur after they do their primary assessment, they've done a fast, you know, fast study, maybe they see, um, maybe they see, uh, you know, a little bit of a fluid in the abdomen, or maybe they don't, like, where will they go from there? Yeah, absolutely. So that's the next step. And, and this is really where in radiology, we've made large strides in, in the last, let's say, 20 or 30 years, um, because of technologic advances. So following the secondary survey, if the patient is stable, again, your example of level two is the perfect example. Uh, again, level one sometimes requires sur surgical intervention immediately without this step. But level two uh, stable patients uh, who can tolerate it will go directly to the CT scanner. And at UMass, for example, our CT scanner is about right across the hall, so six, way, six feet away from the trauma bay, right? You open the doors, trauma bay, six feet away is the CT scanner. You roll them into the CT scanner. This is where we do the bulk of our imaging uh, diagnosis for that trauma patient, okay? So, um, and, um, and, and some of these uh, guidelines are, are, are very well documented and described in um, uh, what's called the American College of uh, Surgeons uh, TQIP Best Practices Guidelines. TQIP stands for um, Trauma Quality Improvement Program. Um, and I've attached that to uh, the show notes for today's episode. So you can take a peek at that. It's, I have to warn you, it's probably 60 or 80 pages worth of trauma imaging guidelines. So you may not, you know, you may not read that in one setting, but uh, anyhow. Um, so basically what happens is the patient, when they present to the CT scanner, we will do a typical uh, CT exam for trauma. So what does that include? Um, that will typically, so again, this is multi-detector CT. So if you look at TQIP from 2018, which is the latest edition, they mentioned 64 slice as the standard of care. Okay, so I would say this, you know, in the modern era, we're in 2021 right now, 64 slice CT multi-detector is, is the standard of care. Uh, at UMass, which is a very, we, we kind of do a, a standard of care uh, evaluation. We would do a head and cervical spine non-contrast CT. And that is followed by an abdomen, uh, sorry, a chest, uh, chest, abdomen, and pelvis CT in arterial phase. Um, and so once we're done with that, we will have the radiologist, uh, a, a member of the radiology team, resident fellow or attending, take a quick look at those images at the scanner, the arterial phase, to make a determination whether we need to do additional phases. And those additional phases would include delay, uh, sorry, venous phase or delayed phase. Um, and those are particularly important for the abdomen, the upper abdomen, where you have solid organs. But sometimes we do that for the chest as well. If you see something that looks like acute hemorrhage uh, anywhere in the body, we can do venous and delayed. 
And, and that's, that typically ends our CT evaluation. Now, there are some special conditions and cases and scenarios where we would do um, some additional steps and uh, additional imaging. That includes giving rectal contrast. If we suspect a bowel injury, especially a colonic injury, we would give uh, rectal contrast. Uh, b- before scanning. We may give oral contrast if there is suspicion of a penetrating trauma, let's say, in the thorax or upper abdomen. Um, so you're, you're thinking maybe an injury uh, to the esophagus or stomach because of mechanism. We may give oral contrast, a little bit of oral contrast to further evaluate. And then we could also, if we suspect um, uh, general urinary injury, um, kidney, ure, ureter, and bladder injury, we may do a CT cystogram to, to further evaluate the GU tract. Um, and then finally, at the CT scanner, uh, if we have an injury to um, uh, a vascular structure of the head and neck, we may, um, we may uh, perform a CT angiogram of the head and or neck to evaluate the vessels uh, in, the, in, those, in that anatomy. Yeah, great. So that's that's like a really good summary of all the various uh, tools that we have in the toolbox uh, for imaging, and and we use a lot of that in that secondary survey to really help assess our patients. Um, you know, how just did mention in that discussion. I just want to remind all of our listeners, as usual, um, we provide some resources. How it's um, provided some. Uh, excellent resources here uh, for overview of trauma, um, trauma center levels explained. Um, he, it's from the American Trauma Society website. He has that link uh, provided and that uh, ACS, uh, American College of Surgeons, uh, TQIPS, uh, best practices uh, for imaging that was, I think, done in conjunction with the uh, American College of Radiology and the uh, ASER, the American Society of Emergency Radiology. And so that link is there as well. Um, really thorough and detailed, but certainly give you some background. So um, just uh, let our listeners know uh, that we have those resources provided that how um, provided for you. All right. So I think we're we're kind of running out of time. I think we may have uh, time for just one more question to, to talk about. And that would be, you know, are there any additional or maybe optional imaging uh, modalities or exams um, that we could consider uh, for a typical imaging workup of these traumatic patients? Yeah, of course. Um, and as time goes by, uh, sort of there is, you know, there's there are always uh, kind of new imaging modalities and new clinical indications uh, for imaging in, in these trauma patients. But the couple that I will mention, so um, beyond the, um, we again we talked about uh, radio radiography in the trauma bay, ultrasound portable ultrasound in the trauma bay. And then we, we talked about the, the workhorse, which is the multi-detector CT uh, at the CT scanner. Following that, if there are any other problem-solving conditions that we, we, we uh, need to further assess, we could think about uh, other modalities, such as uh, MRI um, for certain conditions. Uh, neurologic, if there is a concern of a stroke, for instance, you may do neurologic imaging of the brain. Uh, for stable patients, if there is concern of, let's say, biliary tree injury, you could do MRCP of the abdomen. Uh, you may even there may be even be indications for MRI of uh, extremities uh, or, or spine, for instance, um, if you need to further. And we do that quite often, actually, uh, imaging of the spine for further, more detailed evaluation of uh, spinal injuries. Um, additional things would be um, ultrasound. Uh, of course, if you have a patient, a pregnant patient, for instance, and you need a better, uh, Im- better imaging of the uh, of the abdomen and pelvis 
for a pregnant patient, you would do ultrasound because that's obviously non uh, non irradiating uh, radiation, um, and uh, it gives a real live, a real time uh, imaging evaluation uh, of certain parts of the body. Furthermore, finally, IR. So interventional radiology, we think of as a, as a treatment modality. But honestly, of course, if you're doing a, a, a embolization of other treatment of, let's say, solid organ injury, you're going to get diagnostic images as well at the same time. So those are more problem solving. And sometimes you may even just do the diagnostic angiogram uh, and not perform any treatment. So those are additional and optional imaging modalities, all for trauma patients generally. Yeah, that's great. Um, I think that was a really... Really good discussion, good introduction, at least, uh, to trauma. Um, I think we need to kind of delve in a little bit more. Maybe we can um, continue this discussion, go into you know, some specifics on solid organ injury and how those are worked up and managed next time. Yeah, great. I'd be happy to do that. That's fantastic. All right. Thanks, Hal. Appreciate your time. We'll, we'll get back real soon. Thank you. And that concludes today's episode. Thank you for listening and supporting From the Viewbox. We've attached additional reading materials to the episode notes as provided by our guest. And please visit us at www.umassmed.edu backslash radiology. Thank you to our colleagues Charlene Barron, Tom Delaney, and Dan Ramsaran for their technical assistance. See you next time.